0: Hey, everyone. Stephanie is wearing white dance go clogs today, which means it's 1984, which means the world is upside down, which means Liel might be swearing again, which means you need an obscenity warning. And this is it. Enjoy the show. All right. Hallelujah. Bring in Herr Dr. Senator. No. Wrong. Wrong vibes, guys. (laughs) Happy Lagba Omer, the craziest of Jewish holidays. This is Unorthodox, the world's leading Jewish podcast, at least on iTunes, which the Jews control. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined this week by Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick, Hello. And by Senior Writer Leah Leibowitz. A holland was a-ha-len. This is not just middle of the Omer time. This is not just our 130 something show. This is the week that our Jew of the Week is Mister Jew, Mister Jewish Senator himself,
1: the Mister Clean of the Jewish That's people? That's right, the Jolly say Green
0: Giant of us, the tell Senate. Us who it is? Joe Lieberman, who will be in the studio <laughs> talking about the Omer with us. This is the moment, by the way, where I should say I feel the,
1: like we should play J- uh, Back in Black by ac <laughs> when he comes in. Like Dan, Dan, Dan. Wouldn't it be hilarious <laughs> if he walks in
0: in like you know a basketball uniform, high top sneaks, and a, and a Metallica
1: a, T-shirt? Yeah,
0: and like he's Yo Sup, Oppenheimer,
2: Bud, the I like that it's like, it's like Omer, who should we talk to? Senator Joe Lieberman, yeah, who has De- just Le- written a book about the Omer. The, the Omer, that's right. And we do not let you guys down. Nope, nope, nope. No, not no. for we, a
0: second. This is the leading book on the Omer by a former Democratic, then unaffiliated senator this year, mm-hmm. I would say. I, for some reason, I also have this image of him walking in vaping. I just think the
2: Olympics. Like jeweling that the teens, the teens <laughs> are
1: doing? Exactly <laughs> That's his Omer pastime I
2: don't want you to be disappointed But I have a feeling He's not going to be vaping He's <laughs> not going to be
1: vaping That
0: would be amazing It was like His post set life Was that he's like a vaping A spokesman for the vape industry <laughs> he,
1: he sits by the pool <laughs> Vapes and counts the Omer <laughs>
2: What if it's like a vape a different vape for each day? Yeah. Like an omer Do they do the like Omer flavor. advent calendars? Oh my
1: god, that would be so amazing. I mean we've a already vape for every day of the Omer. The
0: forty nine vape pack. Yeah. That would be
1: <laughs> It's exciting
2: for someone who has no idea what Lagba Omer is. Right. So for this I was, conversation. I was going to say vapes.
0: not just not just one, possibly two and a half of us, but um millions of Jews in the world have no idea what the Omer is. It's the, the 49, 49, right? Days from Passover 50. to Shavuot. Mm-hmm. Is I it fifty? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's inclusive, right? It's the it's the fifty days from Passover we nothing if not inclusive. to Shavuot, and and if you're being very observant, then at home during those days, you always say a prayer that that marks this is the thirty third day of the Omer. This is the thirty fourth day of the Omer, and it's it's an it it is testament to the form to the um the harvest offering they used to give at the temple before the temple was destroyed in the year seventy. So it's a continuation of
1: honoring the harvest. It's gods, actually it's so actually kind of amazing. I mean, because yeah, you did that. And then there was no more temple. So you'd ask why are you doing this thing that actually doesn't make any sense in the context of Judaism? But the explanation is, and I think the reason why it became this great mystical tradition, and I personally enjoy, you know, tremendously. You are an Omer counter. I'm an Omer mother flipping counter, man. (laughs) That's right. Count every day. But here's the logic. And, uh, you know, I think having... 17 kids That's you
0: Snoop will understand the, the you refrain one. count every day yeah. it is it about is, the Omer
2: Mark's gonna have you know? one kid for every day Mark, of the Omer yeah. so. <laughs> since, since you have
1: 50 children <laughs> y- you would understand I think the logic it's very much like you know how kids count down to their birthdays like it's only in 63 days yep. and my birth it's this logic it. like you get so excited and and then the Torah comes that's right and it's like oh wow I'm so sorry. wow special. 10 commandments lots of rules yeah. I have
0: this,
2: like, I'm surprised this hasn't no pork. taken off more because it's like you have whole 30 you have all of these like f- sort of like wellness trends that count a <laughs> oh, lot of days and so we God. could do like whole whole mare 30, like like omer cleanse yeah, a
1: omer cleanse I think you just made a billion dollars
0: we're too late <laughs> it's the whole 30
1: count no. the omer no carb but we can diet. have series
0: A financing by next year at this time I think this is a oh, good idea Lord. count it up
1: count it up count it up count it up,
0: count it up count it up count it up count it count it up count it up count it up count it our Gentile of the Week is Skylar Inman, who is the host of a new podcast uh, about – in which he's solving the, the Palestinian uh, – the, the Israeli-Palestinian crisis. You
1: should have just said our Gentile of the Week is uh, Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan. That's right. Who's dead, but still. Whatever.
0: Um. Anyway, uh, what is up, Jews? Anything on the home front that we should hear about? Well, so Liel, what's up at your home front is you are, you are Omer counting. I am counting every day. Do Hudson and, and Lily – are they into the Omer? They love the Omer. It's like perfect for kids actually. It totally It is. seems like. And Lagba Omer will, was last night if you're hearing this on Thursday Lagba Omer the You're still if you're hearing this on Thursday you're still
1: hungover from last night. From Lagba Omer. Lagba Omer which is you're a hung, big. You're hung You've you've you Omer. <laughs> you've been logging it like there's no tomorrow. So in Israel this is the great I mean it's a lot I know, of campfires, right? I know I talked about Yom mode I know I Hyped it up yeah, I know You can hype about, all of these Jewish holidays But listen to me Here's the amazing thing Because you start fires And here's the thing This will shock you about Israel uh, Adults let their children start fires All the time Freely in Israel Like when I was in second grade We were unsupervised by the campfire And right? here you are now And the thing is To start the fire You need wood To obtain the wood You break into construction sites And steal it But here, here's the other incredible thing There's a tradition uh, of burning people in effigy oh uh, <laughs> in, in Israel unlike Bomer because it's like a super tribal holiday right. so class. who do you burn? Society.
2: does it change each year like depending on you know, geopolitics?
1: Hitler is the classic Ugh, like you can't so go wrong I he mean, never gets old Hitler yeah. is like Turkey on Thanksgiving like right. you know you gotta do it is it cool
2: to find like a very niche person a
0: very niche <laughs> person? <laughs> like, a niche terrorist like the terrorist who was in the news a couple years ago and is it but... only
1: terrorist? what about like yeah like Bill Cosby like today
0: we're doing yeah, and yeah. Me yeah. M- Too a, yeah. Harvey Weinstein, Bill yeah. Cosby. Great. So you're Omering. <laughs> A lot of ready. Omer.
2: Can you translate it for us?
1: The 33rd day of the Omer. Okay. Obviously.
0: What's up at uh, and at Cohen uh, Central in the village?
2: Um, Central is good. Central actually works because there's only one room in our house. So it actually is very centralized. <laughs> I, I guess I started making my own matcha. I am a new person. I was inspired by our producer's son, who's uh-huh. 13 and does it. So yep. I was like, if he can do it, I can. Yep. So I got me some matcha.
1: Do you have one of those like little uh, Yeah, because fancy...
2: yeah, there's this just amazing little grocery store near me. So I went to it. and I was like, let me get the matcha. Let me get the like the little whisk. This is a kind of tea.
0: It's like infused.
2: It's it's green tea, like on steroids, basically. Okay. It's like a really like a paste almost. I don't want any part of that. And then I make a matcha latte. I got coconut milk in there. And then so I was making smoothies also. Like I don't um I messaged Lily Diamond, who is... Is the blogger, Carol and Caramel, who was on our show um, back in November. And I was like, what do I put in my smoothie? And she just like gave me a smoothie life hack like this. I have a smoothie right here. It's like spinach, hemp seeds. Some vanilla, blueberries, almond butter. I don't know. It's
0: very nutritious. My kids would, it, that's it not a It tastes like, no,
2: it tastes like ice cream.
0: I, I have nothing to compete with any of that, except I was at the National Yiddish Book Center for the first time ever the, Ooh, on, what's sun, it like? on Sunday night. It's that's amazing. Gorgeous. What? Is Up it in, as
2: magical as I imagine? It's totally
0: magical. It's beautiful. It's in Amherst, Massachusetts, basically on the campus of Hampshire College, like a stone's throw from the uh, from the Eric Carle Museum. It's worth a trip. All right, a little news of the Jews this week, Liel. What, what do you What do you got for us? What has piqued your interest in news of
1: the Jews? You know how much I love Roseanne, right? Yeah, uh, I didn't actually. You, I mean, you know that you
2: loved her before the, the remake. Y-
1: you know the that remake. my love for Roseanne is is true and real and eternal. And, and confusing, and, and, yes. I think she could do That's no wrong. Bizarre. Uh, not only a, an amazing genius comic of much stature, but also in actually a very little
0: stature. But okay, uh,
1: yeah. how, how dare you? <laughs> uh, but also in recent years, uh, really one of the uh, staunchest defenders of Israel. On on the internet and Perhaps
2: perhaps un- Staunchest and unlikeliest An yes.
1: unlikeliest <laughs> Unclear if she's doing Them any favors But People. okay And so uh, this Sunday Roseanne spoke at a conference uh, In which she said She will consider As her next act After uh, returning The ever popular sitcom To great new heights uh, With the new season of Roseanne She will consider Becoming the Drumroll
2: Prime Minister of Israel Prime
1: Minister of the State
2: of Israel Oh she'll so, so
1: so consider She'll <laughs> deign to ma- know, Offer to make Aliyah Mark there is genius in this idea. Here's why. Okay. So, so in America, yep. we elected a reality show star. Yeah. Now Israel has to outdo everyone, <laughs> right? So they so are also gonna re- elect? no 80s sitcom star. 80s sitcom. I got my dash shows
2: on. I'm ready. Such an improvement
1: <laughs> on the theme. Imagine the Rosanbar cabinet, like the old 80s sitcom themed Rosanbar cabinet. So first of all, right, uh, Alex P. Keaton, Minister of Defense. Right? Michael J. Fox and family ties. Yeah. That's that's an absolute given. Mallory is Minister of Culture. Mallory Keaton. I think the Keatons could the basically Keetons. hold like <laughs> half of the position. Now, um, I think the army should be commanded by Captain Stubing from the Love Boat. Can um,
2: the Knesset <laughs> physician be Doogie Hauser?
1: The Knesset physician slash Minister of Health uh, oh, yes, Doogie, Minister Doogie of Doogie Health, Hauser. Of now I think Kirk Cameron. Uh, should convert to uh-huh. Orthodox Judaism join and, Shas. and become a Shasnik and yep. be minister of religion. Yep, yep, uh, we yep. have a really strong thing growing.
0: Yep, yep. Um, so that is a fabulous bit of News of the Jews. And Stephanie has a really good one coming up in a second. But I'm just going to read this very short New York Magazine piece with the headline, Trump humiliated Michael Cohen at his son's bar mitzvah. This is by Jonathan Chait.
1: I don't even think you need to go further. To I don't even need to go further, right? I mean, that's right? it. Donald
0: Trump's ability to weather the Mueller investigation hinges in large part on whether Trump's fixer, Michael Cohen, will flip on him. And that question in turn hinges on the bizarre relationship between Trump and the sycophant he often spurns. Cohen alternately worships Trump and resents him. And Trump alternates between rewarding Cohen for his canine loyalty and humiliating him for sport. The Wall Street Journal has a sad example of one of the ways in which Trump has previously embarrassed his fixer. Trump agreed to attend Cohen's son's bar mitzvah, then showed up late and and Cohen humiliatingly delayed the ceremony to suit his boss's arrival. After Mr. Trump arrived, the journal reports, he gave a speech telling guests he hadn't planned to come. But he relented after Mr. Cohen had repeatedly called him, his secretary and his children begging him to appear, the attendees said. <laughs> so this it's like,
2: is the saddest thing in the entire world. <laughs> I mean,
0: it's so sad. In so many ways. First of all, what a perversion of, I mean, so that's what the bar mitzvah is. The bar mitzvah is, it's not actually about learning any Torah. It's not about leading part of the service. It's not about doing a project of chesed. It's about having a party that Donald Trump shows up at, right? Then you delay the thing for three hours because Trump is, of course, late because he's busy storming Daniels. (laughs) And then he shows up and he abuses dad in front of. So so basically, here's the irony, right? Here's what it is to be a man, son. You grow up to basically put your manhood in check to a Boss who abuses you in front of your children.
2: Okay, this reminds me of that episode of Entourage where it's Ari Gold's daughter's bar mitzvah, and he's like, Vinny Chase, you gotta come, you gotta come, like it's gonna be the best thing. And then there's like some rival guy there he's trying to make a deal with, and like Vince and Chase is late, and there's just like this amazing scene that plays out. And that was sort of the first time we saw the bar mitzvah as like a transactional thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Hey, hey Jeremy Cohen, what was the theme of your bar mitzvah? a uh, collusion. <laughs> It just makes me sad. I just love that Trump gave a speech, you know? as they say in Parashat Lech Lecha, "Go over there." <laughs> I I went some of the greatest goings ever. A lot of people are saying
0: this was back in 2012, by the way. So we should say that it's
1: always. I would pay a lot of money to, to to hear uh, Trump interpret the Bible, like a Dvar Torah yeah, from a, Trump, a Trump Dvar Torah, and like would what was his, amazing,
2: like service project. <laughs>
0: So surprised keeping his dad out of jail. But Stephanie, I think you have the best bit of News of the Jews of the week.
2: This is my favorite story possibly of ever. Um, it's the story of two rabbis, uh, Bess Wollner and Jeremy Simons, who got engaged, were so equally obsessed with Delta Airlines and accruing <laughs> status on Delta Airlines that they decided to throw themselves a Delta Airlines-themed wedding. It had everything. Um, I read about the story this weekend, and I decided we had to talk to them. So we actually called them up. Bess, um, Bess owner Jeremy Simons, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. Great to have you. So you guys are basically celebrities. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, it's what, it's what everyone dreams of, having their wedding featured in the offbeat news section on all these websites.
2: Offbeat news <laughs> section is sort of like where we fall uh, yeah. on this show. So when, when was the wedding?
3: Uh, the wedding was February 18th, so it's a few months ago, but uh, since, as, as you mentioned, we're both rabbis, uh, the honeymoon is actually not until two more weeks once uh, we're done with our, our jobs for the season. Once
1: you're done counting the Omer. So what
0: is... Yeah, that right. So we've all read about it, So, but for our listeners who, who haven't, uh, tell us two things. Number one, where did your Delta obsession come from? I mean, tell us about the obsession. And number two, how do you make a Delta-themed wedding?
4: Uh, first, I'd say with the obsession, uh, when you're when you're a rabbinic student, you for whatever reason end up flying a lot of places. Either you have a student pulpit, like I was in, um, I had one that was local in Southern California in Temecula, but I also had one in Great Falls, Montana, so I had to fly. And then there's also all these opportunities to go to Israel or with um, the American Jewish World Service. I went to Thailand. He went to Senegal. So you just start flying all of the time, and you know you really have to pick which airline you're going to marry because you want to make the most of it. And so, like, I just took that very seriously. I got the credit card, and then I was like, we're forever, Delta.
1: Is is there, like, a division between, like, an unseen division between, like, airlines and denominations? Like, do reform rabbis fly Delta, conservative rabbis yes. fly American? <laughs> is that is that how that works?
3: That's a great question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm gonna have to. I hopefully, um, you know, in the comments on, online or whatnot, people can uh, chime in on this. I, I have not seen it but I, I want to find an answer now.
4: He's definitely going to spend time researching this now.
0: Our Facebook group will absolutely have this answer for you in about three minutes. We'll have 300 <laughs> posts. But I will say this, I, as someone who flew Delta to Israel last year, and I noticed there weren't a lot of super religious people on, I thought, well, the Orthodox are, are flying El Al. So Delta is, yeah. it was kind of the airline, there were a lot of evangelical Christians going to, you know, <laughs> doing their Zionist field trip to the Promised Land, and then there were, like, Reform and Conservative Jews. So I do think there is an argument that it's the non Orthodox rabbi's airline to to ben-gurion
3: although uh, sorry we're, we're going down kind of a rabbit hole here uh, you may remember there was a Supreme Court case a few years ago where it was an Orthodox rabbi who had sued uh, at the time Northwest but became Delta because they had taken away his sky miles oh yeah so.
4: <laughs> that was like that
3: was,
2: that was like also right up our alley
1: <laughs> That was in, that, in in Tractate Frequent Flyer in the Talmud. I remember
2: that well. So, so yeah, tell us about your wedding.
3: So, um, you asked, how does one go ahead and uh, have a Delta-themed wedding? In our case, uh, it was last summer. So, I'm a Hillel director, and I just began this position in Memphis uh, last year. Uh, so, I was at the Hillel New Directors Institute and talking to some other new directors, making friends, and saying, yeah, I'm getting married in a few months. It's going to be airline-themed, like you do. And... Um, <laughs> David Cohn, who's the Hillel director at Emory. He said, you know who you should talk to? It's my former student, Jason Friedman. He now, he just graduated. He works for Delta Airlines Corporate. Um, He may be able to help you. And he, Jason, made it his mission for the following six months or so to make this happen. He was contacting all these other departments within Delta, uh, making sure we had everything we needed. We wanted the things that that you just can't get on the internet, which those things exist. So, like, if you want 500 Delta cocktail napkins, there's no price you can pay on eBay. They just aren't there. So, you really need Delta to be there to to do it for you. So, napkins, the plastic cups, that sort of stuff.
1: I assume the wedding started with, like, a three-hour delay. (laughs) Oh,
0: no,
3: right too, too soon. Delta has the best on-time performance <laughs> of American carrier. Shame on you. Wait,
0: but was there was there a flight attendant telling you you know to buckle in and what to do in case of an emergency if the oxygen masks drop?
4: There, there wasn't. But um, our officiating uh, rabbi, Zach Shapiro, he also is an aviation enthusiast. Uh, he was with United but we won't talk about <laughs> that too much he's, he's with Delta now I believe um, he converted we him he took
0: him to the mikvah basically
4: we, exactly but uh, he we had said to each other we're like okay there's not going to be any Delta in the wedding ceremony we'll just have it all in the uh, reception um, and he used the Torah portion and connected it to Delta beautifully <laughs> um, explain how please
0: Yeah. yeah what, was the, what was the portion and what was the connection
4: so he picked um, four words, Hebrew words. I would have to go back and look, but that were, like come up in the portion. But each of them, like one started with a D, and one started with an L, and one started with a T, and one started with an A. This and is so amazing. Like, and these four words that come up in this Torah portion, it's Delta. It was like, oh my God,
3: what's so happening,
0: but it was perfect. Here's my question, right? You know, uh, God willing, uh, Hashem gives you a, a large brood of children. You're somewhat, you're, you're settled in, in the Memphis area. Uh, there's probably a little bit less, um, less travel in your future when, if and when that time comes. Do you, do, you, do you worry about getting estranged from Delta? Do you worry about losing your diamond status?
4: Well, first of all, <laughs> I've never had diamond status. And I, it, I don't know if you saw it. some of the articles, which um, have some misinformation, but uh, I actually asked him to propose with Diamond Status, but he respects Delta too much to ask him to do that for someone.
1: <laughs> Even you. By the way, I, I'm sorry, but I, I have to ask halachically. So when you do have children, is it like matrilineal <laughs> descent, do they inherit automatically the Diamond Status? Or do they oh, have to... that would be amazing. Right?
4: No, but... But I guarantee he'll make sure we pay cash for all of our kids, starting from birth, even though they're free up till, through two years old, just so they can accrue mile, miles of <laughs> status. It's an investment.
2: <laughs> so will you tell us, what, I know um, you guys are down in the Memphis area. Will you tell us what you do and where, where you guys work?
4: Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, so uh, I am the assistant rabbi at Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. It's a reform congregation here.
3: Uh, and I'm the director of Hillel's of Memphis. Uh, we have two campuses: the University of Memphis, and also new this year, we have Rhodes College as well, where we just opened our chapter.
0: Awesome! They got some Jews at Rhodes College. And are you
2: guys spreading the gospel of Delta? Huh. As <clears throat> as they say.
3: Well, um, I think that might be a project for the honeymoon. We'll have uh, we'll have plenty of time on planes.
2: <laughs> yeah, where are you guys going to go?
3: Uh, so we are—we cashed in a, a bunch of our Sky Miles. Uh,
4: this is how I knew he loved me. He had never cashed in a mile ever, so he had like 1.5 million miles <laughs> accrued.
0: Well, he was waiting and for the so right for... girl. I mean, there's other yeah. girls he flew places with, but he didn't cash in miles for him. <laughs>
4: Let's not talk about that. They might be listening. Um, <laughs> they definitely are listening, and they're so yeah, jealous. But, so he did uh, cash them in for for the honeymoon,
0: but. Mm-hmm.
3: So we're, uh, we've, uh, we're very blessed to have uh, about four weeks, and we're just going around the world, starting in Europe and working our way um, eastward.
0: Rabbis Bess Wolner and Jeremy Simons, uh, it's been a it's been a big 2018 for you. First the Delta wedding, then your debut on uh, the number one Jewish themed podcast on iTunes. Then your honeymoon, and, and, and the honeymoon the, coming right up. The honeymoon to come. I know, dreams come true. Uh, you know, let me tell you, peaking young in life is you know can be a blessing or a curse. You have a you have a lot to do to make uh, fifty seven <laughs> seventy nine. Uh, you know, live up so. Good luck. So,
2: guys, keep climbing.
0: Keep climbing. Thank
2: you.
1: Fly the friendly (laughs) skies. I will. Thanks, guys.
2: Wow, guys. Our Jewish guest this week is Senator Joe Lieberman. You may remember him as the longtime senator from Connecticut and the 2000 Democratic Party nominee for vice president. He is here now in Argo Studios with us. Welcome, Senator Lieberman.
5: Good to be here. Thank you.
2: So your new book is With Liberty and Justice, The 50-Day Journey from Egypt to Sinai, and it touches on the idea of the Omer. So we're happy to have you here during the Omer. But You've also written a book about Shabbat, yeah. And was this sort of the plan all along, like getting to the, like the
0: real Jewish, the Jewish, the Jewish book stuff?
5: Yeah, he was playing well, the long con. He would like, make
0: his name in the whole politics yeah. game and then write. Yeah. Oh,
5: I, lo- I love that formulation. Yeah, uh, it was not the plan all along. I mean, from probably in a uh, time in college, uh, as a result of a lot of things, all that you know, my rabbis and parents taught me about tikkun olam, bettering the world, my own reading of history, and uh, the uh, example of President Kennedy, who was uh, really motivating for a lot of people in my generation, uh, my goal, the plan, was to get involved in elective politics. And, you know, I was very lucky because I got to be a state senator, an attorney general, and then U.S. senator for 24 years. And to run for vice president. Some people think, uh, actually, that I was elected vice president, but that's for another day to, <laughs> to talk about. So, no, it was not to uh, write... Uh, and, and actually, as I look at it, your question, is because it's somewhat fascinating to me that this is now my second book on Jewish subjects. But um, as I decided that I was not going to seek a fifth term in the U.S. Senate, that I wanted to go on and have another. Chapter in my life outside of elective office that uh, my Jewish observance had become public because I was a public figure, but a lot of it—my davening, my reading, <laughs> and my learning—was uh, not public. And I, I said, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a book about Shabbat. And uh, obviously, I'm not a rabbi, so I write as a lay person which, as I say in the foreword to this book, gives me less authority but more latitude than a rabbi.
1: I should tell you, by the way, uh, by way of apology, yes. this is not the U.S. Senate. We don't listen
5: patiently to yeah. what guests are saying. No, we, we interrupt I really, each other on Really, this, I just want to tell podcast. you how grateful I am. <laughs> now, you realize that you're talking to somebody who— Five years ago, had the right to filibuster taken away from him <laughs> when, he le- when he left the Senate, so he'll have to. So tell <laughs> me, you- tell
1: me about this book. So
5: uh- anyway, <laughs> I, I I I I felt so good about the Shabbat book, I wanted to write another one. Um, and uh, Shavuot is something, two things in this book. One is that I've always felt that Shavuot is uh, underappreciated. It gets the shaft. It, it kind of gets the shaft, and. It's, it's totally part of Pesach, of Passover. Right. I mean, it's Passover starts the story, the exodus, the liberation from slavery. We go from the most appreciated holiday, you're right, in most the introduction, appreciated, most to observed. the least observed yeah, in yeah. So, 50 days. So part of it is to say, wait a second, first of these are connected. I mean, the uh, children of B'nai Israel, children of Israel, were not liberated to wander in the desert or to be equal citizens of Egypt. They were taken out with a mission. They were going to go to the Holy Land, to Eretz Yisrael, but first to get their national mission statement. I remember learning from my rabbi uh, when I was much younger that the Jewish people really did not become a people until Sinai because then we got our values, Ten Commandments, Torah, et cetera. So uh, my goal here was to do a little marketing for Shavuot and um, also to make the point uh, of how important law is to the Jewish narrative of life, but also how important the Sinai experience has been to the development of rule of law societies in Western civilization, including America and the rest of the world. So, so,
0: so you talk a little bit in, in the book, and as you did just here, about the fact that you had over time become um, a public Jew. Not that anyone ever doubted you were Jewish. I remember, yeah. I remember when I was in high school, and you were you were taken down Lowell Weicker for your Senate seat, and and nobody didn't think that Lieberman was was a Jew. Um, But I've noticed over the years, on the one hand, obviously, you're very publicly Jewish, you talk about it. On the other hand, um, I always assumed that if you weren't in public life, you would, for example, appear more Jewish, like you'd wear a yarmulke. Were were these considerations that when you were running for office, did you think, well, I can't be like a tzitzis and yarmulke Jew because (laughs) that might be too much for Puritan Connecticut? For Puritan Connecticut.
5: (laughs) Well, it's a good point. I mean, I'll tell you a little story. There are
0: more r- pictures on Google of Barack Obama with a yarmulke than you.
5: <laughs> oh, I, I have to challenge that. I to, like, <laughs> I, I'm <laughs> pretty sure about so, that. But, but here's what I would say. Uh, it's generational. In other words, so here's the story. I'm walking in the Capitol with Harry Reid, the former majority leader. Mormon. Yeah, Mormon, yeah. probably seven, eight, nine years ago. We're going to a meeting. We're talking about the subject of the meeting. I don't even remember what it was. And this was Harry. Suddenly he says— you know, I've been meaning to ask you, Joe. You're an Orthodox Jew. Why don't you wear a skull cap? I love that he said skull caps. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. but that's literally <laughs> right, so Jewish. <right>. <laughs> not yeah, I'm a, not right. keep, not uh, keepa skull cap. <laughs> okay. So I said because it's you know, with my
0: phylacteries.
5: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. What? <laughs> 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 keep it clean, please. Right. Uh, sorry. So So uh, I said, Harry, you know, it's a good question, and I think it's generational. I grew up in a town, Stanford, Connecticut where nobody wore a skull cap uh, except the rabbi. And the rabbi, most of the time, was wearing a felt hat. So it was just the way it was. And I I wear a kippah in the house all the time. And I wear a kippah when I eat, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, that's the way it was. And I'm not proud of it, Harry. But so Harry said, "Oh, oh, I know. When he asked the question, he said, look, I see all these young guys around, staff guys around the Capitol wearing Skullcaps. And I said, you know, that's a new generation. God bless them. They grew up in a different time. And uh, one day, one of them will be in the senator of the House.
0: You know what? A similar answer was Jeff Jacoby, the Boston Globe columnist. Mm-hmm. Do you remember yeah. that? Who said, I don't wear one at work because I thought work is a secular place, but I wear one around the house. No, he puts
2: it on as he leaves the as office. As he leaves the office, office he slaps it on. Speaking of like the word skullcap, something we've talked about <laughs> on the show, no, is is the way in which the Christian description of of faith, so to speak, right. like faith practice, and it's so different than the way we. Jews speak about our our Jewish observance, and so I'm oh, I'm curious if since you were in public life and since you were in in politics, did you feel compelled to speak in a way that was like my Jewish faith practice, or like even hearing mm. the Jewish faith to me sounds like something a Jewish person would never yeah. say? <laughs> so did Interesting.
5: you? So, so tell me where what you mean by the difference between I guess I'm thinking of Christians Someone, about someone like
2: Eric Cantor, who was who very much yeah. made his his Jewishness palatable to Christians, like he he spoke about it in a way that sort of was like in a Christian context
0: his faith journey yeah,
2: yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. witnessing like you, him, like you say like I don't I've never felt that I mean your question is fascinating to me because I never felt like I had to speak any different than I normally would have spoken in fact the way I normally spoke the way I was educated by my rabbis by my own learning um seem to uh, find receptivity among n- uh, non-jewish audiences basic shared beliefs in God the Bible etc cetera, etc cetera.
1: so I, I want to ask a, a thorny question about uh, your your journey of faith so okay <laughs>
5: um it's it's now
1: Friday after yeah. that Tuesday in in 2000 after the election yeah uh, and and you go to synagogue right. everything is still very much up in the air there' are lawyer teams getting ready for uh-huh. the Battle of the century right at any point. Do you close your eyes and say, Okay, God, listen, I've been very good my entire life. I've never asked you for much. Yeah. <laughs> I need one big favor. Do me this solid. Hook a brother know? up. Just hook a brother up and, and make this happen the way we need this to happen. You know, that's Do you wonderful pray, pray for it.
5: I wish you had been you know, I had so many speech writers at you. I wish I'd had a prayer writer <laughs> and it was you. No, I I it's I have to get back into the, those moments. I'm I'm sure that I prayed for a good outcome, but uh, I don't I don't think I did it uh, on a quid pro yeah. quo. No no basis. bracha
1: no no boreh priha hanging Chad nothing like this.
5: <laughs> no no. Uh, I, although I'm sure there's a bracha that somehow <laughs> relates to uh, maybe I should have bench something. The rabbis or something. can find anything, right? Yeah. Do
2: you, so can we talk about what things would have been like if you were. If you were vice president, an Orthodox Jewish vice president, like, would there have been a kosher kitchen in the White House? Like, were provisions being made for that kind of stuff? Like, what were hagim going to look like? Or in, like, a state
1: dinner, are you the one just getting, like, a
5: little, like, sellotaped little turkey sandwich with a hashgacha? What would it have been like? We we didn't work anything out, but it was very clear— that uh, the vice presidential residence would have been kosher. When
0: you were traveling the world in all of your foreign policy yeah. work, would you would you eat non kosher? There must have been situations where you so had to. So I'm
5: a, I'm a uh, uh, I guess I'd say I'm I'm a truly modern Orthodox Jew, in that sense, practically speaking. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't eat trafe trafe, really. But you know, uh, in those kinds of circumstances. I eat uh, vegetables or. Uh, I, I, live as, I, I i say I'm a vegetarian when I can't get kosher food. You'd be amazed at how many places you can get kosher food. So, You're very
2: diplomatic about it.
5: Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's just, to me, it's sort you got, of practical. You, gotta eat. you got you, you <laughs> to eat. I once, I was sitting at a, uh, a a state dinner one time when I went to China. I was sitting next to the foreign minister and I kept getting vegetarian dishes you know they have many dishes at a chinese dinner so he said to me uh senator if you don't mind me asking i'm i noticed you're eating vegetarian food are you perhaps a buddhist <laughs> so, you like sorta i said no no minister i'm i'm uh, jewish and i'm kosher But uh, vegetarian (laughs) suits my purposes for tonight. Jewish
1: and kosher. So on Christmas, (laughs) what are you? (laughs) you All right. Um, (laughs) All right. So to tie, kind of to tie this all together, um, the book is. Uh, built as a series of meditations. Uh, they're short and they're meant very to Buddhist. Each very yes, Buddhist very. to each be read uh, on on a different day yeah. of, of the Omer. Today we happen to be sitting here on on the eve of the thirty second. Right uh, on which the meditation that you wrote is actually kind of interesting. It's about the the influence um, you know Jewish ideas and tradition have had on the founding fathers. Is this right. something that you always felt as an Orthodox Jew who spent you know, all of his life or most of his life in Washington? Yeah. Is that a connection that you felt between the faith and the foundation of the Republic?
5: Yeah, I mean, I don't know when it was born within me or when I had that insight, but studying history, different writers, Michael Novak, who was a actually a Roman Catholic theologian, a social commentator, now passed away in the last year or two, but he wrote a book called On the... I believe it was called On the Wings of Eagles. And his basic contention was that the American Revolution, the American nation, the, the American eagle had two wings which enabled it to fly. One was the one that everybody gives credit to, which was the Enlightenment, you know, the great philosophers, Locke, uh, et cetera. But he said the other was the Hebrew Bible. And he makes up a very compelling case about that. I may, that may have crystallized things for me. I talk about it here in the in this uh, Book with Liberty and Justice. In fact, as, as you know, some may miss it, the, ter- the title comes from the American Pledge of Allegiance, One Nation Under God with Liberty and Justice for All. And it makes the point about uh, the message of the Torah that uh, essentially liberty alone is not enough. We need the law to achieve um, justice. So a- anyway, history does tell us that uh, the Calvinists um raised up the the Torah, what they call the Old Testament, what we call the Hebrew Bible, today, and uh it was very much in the world view of the founding generation of Americans, but so it matter that mattered to me it actually was a source of comfort <laughs> being raised in a, a, a Torah education to know that the Torah had so affected this right. country that was giving me all these um, That all you these weren't some, right. some weird outsider, but actually had a claim right. to the foundational I think, narrative. I think that's right. Uh, exactly. And of course, this is... Uh, uh, become in um, one of the great changes. I'll make one se- sentence here. We can come back into another podcast on this. But one of the great transformations that's occurred in my lifetime, which I don't think gets enough credit, is the uh, change in the relationship between Jews and Christians, which began in the Catholic Church with uh, the Ecumenical Pope John the Twenty Third, and has continued on through changes in doctrine, etc. And also, of course, the, the blossoming of this. Christian evangelical movement which always existed in some sense some of our founding fathers were Zionists you can re- see it in their writing but now it's it's a major American and world force that's been very critical to Israel's uh, strength in the world Well
0: that actually goes into a question I wanted to get to before uh, before you head off to your to your legal practice okay, uh, okay so here we are it's, it's 2016 right. Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump who'd you vote for?
5: I voted for Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I did. supported her publicly. I, I mean, I just. Now, didn't... a
0: lot of I'm guessing a lot of your fellow goers. you walk into a modern Orthodox synagogue most parts of America. There are going to be a lot of people who are Trump supporters. Uh, what are they getting wrong?
5: Well, um, part of our uh, Jewish ethic, I think, is to remember that we were once strangers, foreigners, um, minority group, however you want to interpret the word, in in Egypt, and therefore we have a, an eternal obligation to uh, uh, treat uh, strangers in our own midst, uh, and this certainly includes immigrants uh, kindly. So um, where did they get it wrong? I think they got it wrong by focusing too much, and I understand it, on Israel. but And they were also troubled, as voters obviously were beyond the Jewish community, that um, Hillary Clinton was a a step back. They they were uneasy about President Trump. They knew that they were taking a risk, but I think in the end, a lot of them voted for him because they wanted a change.
1: When when you watch the news now, when you watch yeah. CNN, do you think to yourself, "My God, I am so happy. I am no longer in politics because this is crazy," or do you think, "Man, just give me one they more me. shot yeah. at the Senate. Yeah. I would
5: make it all yeah. right." So it's a mixture, really. I mean, part of it is I. I also uh, the, the news because it's so it's such reality TV, and it's so unprecedented uh, that is in the subject matter that I'm I'm drawn to it, and my wife is too. And I have to say to her, sweetheart, really, this is the second or third show tonight we've seen the same material covered on uh, on the cable news. <laughs> Let's. Turn to Netflix or, let's, or Amazon. Yes. let's, let's watch, count to Omer. Let's watch Victoria. Or, <laughs> the or orange uh, is the new black. A little, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah something like that. Entourage. So, so but, uh, but I must. So, generally speaking, no. I had forty years in elective office, long time. A very feel, you know, very privileged in this setting. I would say blessed uh, to have had that opportunity. <laughs> the last two years were the least productive because it, it was getting really partisan ideologically rigid. I will own up to the fact, without embarrassment, that every now and then something happens that I I read, I hear, and I I say, "Ah, I wish I was there. I'd call up McCain or Susan Collins, and I'd say, let's do this about that. At least let's go down to the Senate floor and have a colloquy on it, try to get some and now all you uh, can do it,
0: is text them and be like, Susan,
5: here's what you got to yeah. say. But I must admit, it passes quickly. <laughs> I'm Speaking working of which, on some some political advocacy groups. Is, is
1: there anyone uh, that you see kind of in the field in 2020
5: you're really excited about? Not yet. No, not yet. It's a really good question. I mean, I think that Democrats have a big opportunity, but, you know, they're probably going to be, as somebody said to me, 50 candidates. Now there won't be 50, but you, there'll probably be 20. And uh, it's really important to uh, to get get somebody who can convince people that they can win. If
0: it's Elizabeth Warren, whom you've been
5: very critical of, versus yeah. Donald Trump, yeah. do you, do you stick with the Democrats? I don't know. Tough call. I mean, that would be my instinct, but she would make it hard. Uh, I don't really know her. Interestingly enough, I know Bernie because uh, Sanders because I served with him. Would you vote Bernie over Trump? It depends where we are. That would that would be a that would be an easier call for me as a Democrat. Interestingly enough, wow. Bernie's the genuine is a genuine article. I disagree with him on a lot of stuff, uh, but he's. Um, Can
0: you get him here as a Jew of the Week for an Orthodox? Can you hook us? That'll up?
5: be that'll be harder. Really, <laughs> his, uh, he, to get him to identify as the Jew yeah, of the Week. No, he'd be our Pole <laughs> of the Week. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the weird, the weird coincidence here is a cla- a roommate of mine at Yale who became uh, Chabad Lubavitch is a professor of. Philosophy and Religion, University of Vermont in Burlington, became a great friend of Bernie's. Fascinating. So they have a dialogue that goes on, and uh, his name is Rick Sugarman, and uh, we decided he's probably the only person in America who can say that Bernie and I are his best friends. <laughs> wow.
0: we got to get him on. There we go. Well, he'd
5: be really interesting. There we wow. go.
0: Uh, Senator Joe Lieberman, author of, of two books. One of them is The Gift of Rest, Rediscovering the Beauty of the Sabbath, and the new one, Fresh for Omer season, co written with Rabbi Ari Khan, with Liberty and Justice, the 50 day journey from Egypt to Sinai. Also a partner at Casiewicz, Goldberg, Blumberg, Steinberg and Oppenheimer. Oh, no.
5: Casiewicz, no. <laughs> Benson, and Torres. Oh. When I met Hector Torres, I said, thank God. <laughs> so, so he said, I'm Sephardic. <laughs> but he, he was joking. Oh, he was he's joking. A, he's uh, a Puerto Rican-American from the Bronx and also went to Yale. Institute. Well,
0: thank you for being our Jew of the Week.
5: Thank you. It's an honor. Blue dog, blue dog, with me in my big boy bed. Patch of denim on
6: your head. We've been through our ups and
5: downs. Blue dog, blue dog, mommy.
0: Unorthodox has been growing by leaps and bounds, and one of those moves has been to go international. You know, we have a strong following in Israel, Canada, Australia, England, you know, places where there are a lot of Jews. Amman, Qatar. Amman, Qatar. That's right. Namibia. But we're looking to make the move into places that maybe historically have have been less Jew-friendly, where the Jewish population has um, shrunk. Over the years, as 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 we shall say, so Leal, what you're saying is that we need some Lebensraum, yeah, for unorthodox, yeah, some
1: Anschluss yeah. of some yeah. other territories. So, exactly. So where, so where do
0: we go this week? Uh, this week we we, we went uh, off Deutschland uh, to Germany, and Liel,
1: uh, explain a little bit about what what took unorthodox to Germany. this uh, her commandant, and so. Uh, in Germany, two famous rappers uh, have won a prestigious popular music award for lyrics that, shall we say, are somewhat objectionable. Shall we say objectionable because they make <laughs> fun of Auschwitz survivors. Uh, and so Stephanie and I talked to the premier expert on German hip-hop, Tobias Verlensky a name which Stephanie and I butchered mercilessly. Uh, Accidentally. Ish. Uh, And so uh, what I love about this interview you're about to hear is, first of all, really getting an amazing insight into German racist hip hop, uh, which (laughs) is its own category, but also uh, the fact that all the jokes uh, that Stephanie and I made... Uh, Tobias Walensky really didn't laugh at any of them he's not allowed to laugh at any of them he was like them. that is a funny it joke actually, but I cannot laugh at any of it it
2: actually illuminated the entire thing so much more for me the story when when actually speaking to a German person who's like you can't say any of this stuff so it highlights how actually truly offensive those lyrics are in Germany
0: this may explain why we actually have so few listeners in Germany <laughs> because
2: right. basically, they're like stop joking like, about but, this but <laughs> to,
0: these
1: people said me Auschwitz I will not listened to them
0: right so to listen to us in Germany would be to microaggress against all of the yeah. victims of your great-grandfather oh in Lord. his SS uniform so all right let's let, roll tape
2: yeah the, the headline in the New York Times says Fury in Germany as rap duo with anti-jewish lyrics gets award I have no idea what that means <laughs> Could you like break it down for uh, for us what's what's going on over there?
6: okay so um, the album already released like a month ago and um, a lot of people were already, Kind of disgusted by the lyrics, but um, the real fury, as the New York Times would say, um, started when the the duo Kollega and Farid Bang um, r- received an award for the album as the best hip hop album. But we have to say that the award isn't um, like a critical award; it's mostly just about sales. Like if you if you are successful, if you sell a lot, sell a lot, then um, you will receive the prize and there is a Jew but nobody really knows how much of um, how much influence the jury has so, so hold on
1: tell us tell us before we even go any further this duo like to American listeners who are may not be very familiar with German hip-hop uh, these guys are like the what are they like oh, the, the the Nelly
6: the Florida <laughs> of America the, the what um, they are not so much like as Nelly or Florida, uh, but they they started as like gangster rappers, oh. and um, already before they they were ripping about like like pretty much the the cliche gangster rap thing about cars, about um, big muscles. Um, they um, they they trained a lot. Like colega, if you look at pictures ten years ago, he wasn't uh, uh, that muscular. So. They were training a lot. They were practicing, and he even um, sold, a, which is called the boss transformation, so people can actually become like him and uh, s- just buy a kind of a, a protein shake, everything. So he's like and- a fitness guru. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like that. It's it's like pretty weird.
2: So, is it was this just intended to provoke? I mean, could you tell us what the lines were that that really sparked this controversy? Uh,
6: I mean, the line that everybody is talking about um, is I can I, I just quote it from the New York Times article because I I think they uh, translated it. They. Um, Farid Bang is rapping that his body is more defined than Auschwitz prisoners. Um and who did not is, for a historical accuracy sense did not have access in Auschwitz to powder. his protein
1: powders. It would have changed everything if they did.
6: Oh wow, that's yeah. very sarcastic. I, I cannot laugh about this because I, I think it's <laughs> yeah, you, you, you yeah, have to no. understand well, as, as as a German it's already hard to talk about <laughs> stuff like this and yeah, to joke it's it's pretty okay to laugh Tobias. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I have, a, I have a kind of a difficult and maybe a little bit of an unfair question. Do you think people are do you think these guys are popular because they say things that sound like controversial and like dangerous and cool? Or are people really attracted genuinely to some sort of
6: nefarious political message here? In other words, is this for real or is this just a pose? Um, well, that's, that's difficult. I, I cannot really answer that question. But um, definitely people are attracted to, to people that are provoking. I mean, especially in music, especially in rap. That's um, like a formula that worked. Also, and that's a really big problem is a lot of anti-media right now. And this is something you might be familiar, Trump and a lot of anti or a lot of right wing parties are kind of against the establishment, against what is already there and what might control us. So Kollega is really um, getting on the, the highest levels in talking about, um, hey, I'm going to offer. Journalist, twenty five thousand euros if you cover Pizzagate in a real way, and a ton or most of his uh, listeners might not even know what Pizzagate was about. It sounds
2: so much better when you said. Yeah. We said it, it's just Pizzagate. Yeah.
6: <laughs> Give it some continental verb. <laughs> yeah, here it's it's pizza. I have to uh, tell
1: you well, though. Here, I think in the United States part of the glory is that just say whatever the fuck you want and no one really gets that worked up in these ways because there are no laws making any kind of you know real restrictions I mean I understand the historical sensitivities but I wonder to what extent they actually help build people like Colega up because now he genuinely seems like he's counter you know anti-establishment dude
6: Mm, when he's just a
1: you know gangster rapper
6: wannabe yeah, I mean the whole discussion definitely benefits them in in a way they he can say hey I'm I'm the good guy and all the media is now against me so buy my album kind of stuff. I don't, I don't know. They provoked and they even get into the New York Times so they can be happy in a way but um, it's 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 a dangerous a dangerous thing to get like a ton of uh, teens against the media not trusting anyone and um yeah that's pretty much what what they are doing and uh, i don't know
2: so tobias you're a podcaster you're an editor you work at the german version of um genius formerly known as rap genius like you know every like you what's going on like you know tell us about the 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 rap scene in germany uh
6: wow Um, it's like a huge scene um it's very very diverse um yeah, I mean it's it's pretty hard to, to talk about that, but definitely you have. Tell us, tell have us like- one
1: artist you're really excited about today, so we could we could go out with them instead of listening to Colega and you know the other dude.
6: Ah, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Megalo. Um, he made an album also with uh, two other artists, Ganyan, Stallion and Musa and I I covered the album of them it's it's called Platz an der Sonne and it talks about um, Africa and um, a lot of stuff and it's more like, um, yeah, talking about self um, I I don't know the, the exact translation but the album was really talking about politics and still good music so the Exact opposite of colega. I can really recommend you to listen to Megalo. Amazing man! Thank you so 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 much.
2: Thanks, Tobias. Thank you. My
5: name is Megalo. Uh-huh. Ich bin die rap aus M-O-A.
0: That was Leah Liebwood and Stephanie Butnick speaking with German hip hop expert Tobias.
2: Our Gentile of the Week is Skylar Inman. She's the host of Intractable, a podcast that collects narratives and stories about those living in Israel and Palestine. She was born and raised in Houston, Texas and graduated from Yale last May. Skyler, welcome to the program. Thanks, guys. It's great this is, to be here. What this is, is just
1: a Jewish podcast that even our Gentile of the Week lives in Israel? Yeah, like, and- what
2: did a nice <laughs> is Gentile like you end up? How did you end up? doing a podcast about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. How'd you get to Israel? Like, what's going on? It's like,
0: I could go work for McKinsey or I could go to try to solve the world's most intractable dilemma.
7: Yeah, um, I guess I can only describe it as the Jewish agenda of Yale University, I guess. Um, no, it's uh, it's not such a long story, actually. I, I ended up going on this trip um, that was just supposed to bring uh, interested young American students who wanted to know more about the conflict. It's called the Peace and Dialogue Leadership Initiative, or PDLI for short. Uh, Yalies love to make things with long acronyms. Um, And I had like an 11-day sort of breakneck tour of Israel and I left feeling like the most profound sense of uh, spiritual, physical, and mental jet lag that I've ever felt. Um, and I knew I needed to come back. I had been interested in conflict situations for a really long time. And uh, as Mark knows, I studied storytelling in various aspects in college, and I sort of just thought, maybe I can combine all of these interests. And I applied for a fellowship from Yale. and somehow they said yes and i booked a flight to tel aviv
1: all right so now you're in tel aviv uh and it's it's no longer the the tour it's no longer the, it's 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 real life you live here what are some of the things that struck you as like oh my god this is these people are so freaking weird like what are some of the things that you still have a hard time adjusting to
7: as far as israeli culture goes
1: as far as life in israel
7: uh, as far as life in Israel, well, I I guess as an American, I'll never totally get used to the uh, the brutal honesty and also the fact that lines just don't really seem to exist. Mazel um, uh, lines. Yeah, exactly. As far as uh, the the life on the Israeli side goes, uh, um, I've really learned how to like elbow my way to the front of clusters of people in order to to get what I need as quickly as possible. So I think I'm adapting. Um, I think i'm adapting pretty well actually to that aspect of it um the one thing that really uh took me by surprise in tel aviv specifically during the summer last year uh is the absolute ubiquity of the dripping air conditioner units like you'll be walking down the sidewalk and you'll just be like pelted with air conditioning drips. And you have to, like, everyone on the sidewalk is kind of doing this, like, little Tel Aviv tango where you're, like, sidestepping all of the, like, dripping disgusting AC Uh, exhaust. This is very true.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, Skylar, I'm curious. um, You're podcast requires you to get to these sort of emotional places with with different people and I'm I'm wondering if if being an American but being a Christian and not a Jewish American coming into say the West Bank
7: and talking to people do you think that gives you an advantage and allows people to open up to you yeah i definitely think that there's some aspect to my identity that allows me to first of all travel in ways that some people might not feel safe traveling i mean you you go into the West Bank and there are these Big red signs, they don't say you're not allowed to travel here if you're Jewish, but they say if you're Israeli, you know, not only is it against the law, but it, it's dangerous to your life. And, you know, even though it doesn't say if you're Jewish, it's dangerous to your life. That's certainly how it reads. Um, I mean, get a giant like I'm talking like eight foot tall sign and and write that on it. And it's pretty intimidating. Um So just on a personal level, it's something that's open to me in a way that it might not feel open to other people. But yeah, I guess there is, especially with this topic, there's this feeling that your identity really determines your opinion. And I think coming from this sort of like place that's seen as somewhat wacky, which is Texas, you know, I'm I'm not just a... A non-Jewish American. I'm a, an American from the South, which is sort of like the the butt of many jokes. Um, and it does open doors. I think when I introduce myself and I explain who I am and where I'm from, people on both sides sort of say, "Okay, well, maybe she doesn't have a set opinion yet. Maybe she'll actually listen to my story for what it is instead of coming at it from an like a, an attack standpoint."
1: Uh, it's astonishing to me that people in Ramallah are making fun of Houston. <laughs> no, it's
7: not so much that they make fun of it. But when I say Texas, there's sort of this like universal laughter that follows. They're like, oh, ha George Bush or Cowboys. That's like, like, you know, hilarious. Just, do, you call, just,
1: do you call good company good barbecue? We have much better barbecue. So, I mean, speaking
0: of that, but I mean, doing this dance of kind of moving across spaces and across borders is hard, even for a nice Texan like you. Um you know, every single word or expression has some sort of, you know, counterpart or controversy. Is it the apartheid fence? Is it the security barrier? Is it Judea, Absolutely. Samaria, occupied territories, this, that, like, w- w- do you have – have you found a rabbi, so to speak, a, a, someone to guide you, a mentor, or do you just Google stuff a lot? How do you decide – every word of your script for intractable um is a potential – Is intractable. Is intractable, <laughs> right? How have you negotiated that? And maybe – Truly. Any particular thorny story that you want to tell about that?
7: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it... – It's definitely sort of this like meta level of intractability, like you said, like I I, at first I was so anxious just even about like parsing my words and, you know, do on an ethical sort of journalistic level. Do I change the words that I use when I interview different people or do I sort of stick with like the uh, like, I guess what you would call the New York Times slash like UN peacekeeper lingo of like the most neutral words possible? Um, And I think for the most part, when I'm doing the research, I try to stick to the most widely accepted journalistic terms. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I'll encounter someone who who really does bristle at the use of a certain word. Um, like, for example, uh, in episode three, I interview uh, the director of a theater in Janine. And my first question of that interview was, so what has your experience been living your whole life? You know, you were born during the conflict. you lived through the Second Intifada. Um, and now you're living life with uh, sort of the the post-second Intifada on this one side of this wall. Can you tell me about what life is like in? conflict for you and he said well first of all it's not a conflict it's an occupation (laughs) and so like that was like right off the bat I felt like maybe you know I was on the wrong foot maybe he wouldn't trust me now um but I Instead, I asked him, so, you know, what's the difference between a conflict and an occupation? And I sort of got him talking on that. and And his answer was, to me, when people say conflict, it sounds like you're saying we each have equal power in this situation. And for me, living on this side of the... Of the wall, where you know, on any given night, your home can be raided, and you don't necessarily know why. Um, it feels much more like something that's imposed from above. Hmm. Um, and I think that there, when you when you get people really talking about why they use the words that they use, you generally tend to reach some sort of. Uh, emotional truth that transcends the dictionary definitions of the words, if that makes sense.
0: So we always allow our gentile of the week to conclude with a question for us. Is there anything that this internationally recognized panel of Jewish experts can tell you?
7: Oh yes, I've been wondering for a very long time. Uh, it's sort of a podcaster to podcaster question. Okay, P to P. You end every episode saying that you have rabbi, like rabbinical supervision, and I'm just wondering. First of all, what does that mean? How do you talk to these rabbis? Do you email? Do you Skype them in? Do they sit in the studio? What do they approve? Um, And do I need rabbinical supervision? Well they send money you see. <laughs> it's it's
1: advertising. We, we sell absolutions. We got the model from uh, uh, our younger brothers.
0: So I'll take those I'll, I'll go backwards. First of all, absolutely you need rabbinical supervision. We all do. Um but the answer to your question and this is I feel I feel naked before your question is that it's um
1: it's just a joke. <laughs> it's it's sometimes no! like Sometimes Although it's a, a shout-out. It's, it's not, more it's not than really a, joke. a joke. It's it's a uh, it's 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 a genuine I it's it's humorous, but it's a genuine appreciation of people who don't get enough love. You know, and people who we have don't pulpits. ask
2: them for anything, actually. That's, true. That's right. the answer. Like we don't ask them to do anything. We assume that all rabbis are so overworked, they're doing they're ministering to their congregations, they're doing all they're this stuff, they're fellowshipping with, with the Jews. Jews. They're um they're working on, on their faith, faith journey. Stuff. But they, it's just it's like a nice way to shout out different people. And and the best thing is that as we started doing it, people write in and tell us like, oh, shout out my rabbi or shout out this rabbi who's doing something really cool. And so this is – your question is a great opportunity for us is to tell people that they can nominate their
0: rabbi. We out. love rabbis. Absolutely. So a lot of it is, is nominations. And then sometimes early in the show, like the first year when we weren't getting nominations, sometimes I would just think like – let's pick up some listeners in Montpelier, Vermont, and I would Google like conservative synagogue or reform temple Montpelier and find a rap. And then I'd find like the assistant cantor. And, you know, I would just find someone who just is.
2: That
7: is amazing.
2: Somebody
0: you know doesn't get enough love and that would be the rabbinic supervision. It's sort
2: of like retweets do not equal endorsement. Rabbinic supervision <laughs> right? does not equal endorsement. But please hold them responsible
0: for everything we say
7: this
2: That's episode.
0: Right. Is that exciting for you? That's is that beautiful. a huge letdown, Skylar?
7: I don't know. I In a way, it's, it's like I've just discovered that this mythical creature is not real, but in another way, uh, it's giving me some ideas for my own podcast, I guess.
0: So speaking of your podcast, the podcast is Intractable, in which Skylar Inman travels around Israel and the West Bank conducting interviews, trying to get to the bottom of this, trying to explain to all of us who kind of know there's a conflict, but maybe don't know the ins and outs, what exactly the conflict or the occupation or the rebellion, whatever you want to call it, is. Uh, Her work is at intractablepodcast.com and on iTunes, and uh, it's written in Skywriting above uh, Skylar, Manhattan. I feel like if
2: anyone can do this, it's you. Yeah. No, no pressure. Thanks, guys. I'll keep listening
7: to you guys yeah. as well. Yeah.
0: Donald Trump needs you. Thanks, Skylar.
7: <laughs> Thanks, guys. Maybe I'm intractable.
4: And maybe you wish you knew what that means. And maybe I'm just too political. And maybe you are just dreaming of me.
0: Hey, J. Crew! you know something you can do for us besides listening and telling all your friends to listen? You can rate us on iTunes. Here's a really great review we just got. It's from Nell Minnow. I feel like Goldilocks. I've been looking for a podcast on Jewish topics that was not too reverent, not too secular, but just right. And here it is, a lively conversation on the issues of the day and the issues of the millennia. Bugs in Roman artichokes? Who knew? I like the different perspectives of the three hosts, and they always have fascinating Jewish and non-Jewish guests. The topics range from the most theological and liturgical to the most secular and contemporary, and I very much appreciate the engagement on Facebook as well. Mazel tov and Toda rabah. Five stars, Nell Minow.
1: Now, here, <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's right. <laughs> Rating us on iTunes does push us higher up and gets us in front of more people,
2: and it validates us. Yeah, we have very <laughs> low. Most important, really,
1: whatever you could do to help us, we
0: show we could show our loved our spouses and children. Say, see, somebody loves us. Also. Uh, a bunch of chances to hang with us and ours. For those of you looking to get into the Shavuot frame of mind, uh, Unorthodox guest and tablet contributor Jenna Weissman-Joselet, the great historian, will be discussing her book, Set in Stone, America's Embrace of the Ten Commandments. She'll be at New York's Congregation Rodef Sholem on the Upper West Side at 7 p.m. on Monday, May 14th. Go to rodefsholem.org tablet to get your tickets. If that's not enough, you can come see us live. I will be at Greenwich Reform Synagogue on Friday, May 18th. Stephanie will be moderating the next installment of the Jewish Book Council's Unpacking the Book Discussion Series at the Jewish Museum. She'll be there on June 14th talking with novelist Rachel Kadish and historian Lisa Moses Leff. On the evening of Shavuot, Leah Leibowitz will be at the 14th Street Y in Manhattan all night long.
2: All night long. That's the night of
0: I'll May 19th. I'll be singing that song. He will be doing the Tikkun Liel Shavuot. Uh, Tikkun Liel Shavuot. <laughs> Tikkun Liel Shavuot, the all night learning. That would actually be, listen, I'm actually going to say something. Those of you who, are, who may not be particularly observant but are looking to do something crazy, a the great- The funnest thing in the world. Entry point would be- Absolutely. Studying with Liel all night long On May 19th That's a great idea the There'll four- be art
1: There'll be plays There'll be drinking there'll The 14th be street wide Cheese um, Mazel tovs Liel might you have a Mazel tov this week You know Sometimes you go to a concert And it's just a concert And you come home You forget about it the next day Yesterday I saw a concert That kind of left me sp- Like literally speechless Which is not a, Though not a You recovered by this morning But your I speech came back I kind of did yeah. but, it, but it took a while yeah. it would, That's not an easy feat You yeah. know f- for me Um there's an Israeli artist named Victoria Hanna which some of you may have seen on YouTube. If you didn't, you know, drop everything and go watch her. She um, has a fascination with the kind of mystical Kabbalistic power of of Hebrew letters and sounds and words. And does this thing which begins, It's it's all, almost all liturgical texts put to music. And it almost always starts as just words and then kind of... Uh, evolves into ritualistic, amazingly weird, amazingly beautiful, trance like uh, soundscapes. Like uh, this podcast. Just just like this podcast. Go <laughs> pour yourself a drink and listen to Victoria Hanna. How do you spell the last name for people who. on? Hanna. C H A
0: N A. Got it. Uh, Stephanie Mazeltov?
2: I have a Mazeltov from a listener, but I just want to say that. I just I found out yesterday that Judith Lieber, um, the the designer of the iconic, those those like uh crystal encrusted handbags. handbags. Yeah. And she died uh on Saturday at her home in East Hampton of just hours after her husband, um, who was who was himself an artist, the the painter and sculptor Gerson Lieber. They died within hours of each other. She was ninety seven. Um they were married for seventy-two years. She was just an amazing figure in American and Jewish history, and, a and Holocaust just, survivor. she she actually met yes yeah, she met Gus when he was stationed. He was an American soldier. He was stationed in Budapest, and she was living there. And she actually was before the war went to London to study cosmetics because that's what she wanted to do. Right. And then, of course, she was called back. And as she says, Hitler put me in the handbag business. So in a weird way, we have Hitler to thank for those beautiful purses in the shapes of like dogs and cats and and, and, and animals. And and she's just, just thank yeah,
1: you I, oh, God, yeah, God God bless.
2: So um just just supply Judith Lieber. and this comes in from super listener Morgan Block. She says, I was using my super silent unorthodox tote bag as one does in the Tribeca Whole Foods when the man handing out cheese samples said to me, "I love tablet magazine. See, I asked if he had listened to Unorthodox. he had not, but was very excited to download it before the next time he heads to the gym. So, if you'll allow me, I'd like to send a mazel tov to Brent the Cheese Guy, purveyor of delicious kosher cheese, fellow friendly New York City Jew, and hopeful new unorthodox listener. Mazel tov, Brent. Mazel tov, Morgan. Thanks for rocking our tote. You guys oh are the
1: best.
0: God. Brent. I, next Morgan. year in Tribeca. Next year in Tribeca. <laughs> Morgan Block. Brent the Cheese Guy. Woo. I, I top that. I will yeah. not yeah. I will not top that. I do have a kind of, um, you know, uh, Sub Rosa uh, mazel tov. I, I, I'm not going to go last name here, but... Um, Uh, The basic story is we got a phone call about this amazingly beautiful couple who very much connect around unorthodox, and the man wants to wish Leah a happy birthday. And I want to say that it sounds as if, Leah, it sounds as if you were marrying an amazing man. Apparently, Tinder can lead to true love. And the message that he left on our voicemail moved us all to tears. I also want to give a shout out to our new listener, Elizabeth M. I don't know if she wants her last name revealed, but she is following the podcast and says it's helping... In her conversion process, that she's really sort of understanding Jews um, because of us. That so, is a lot
2: of pressure. That
0: is a lot of pressure. We will try
1: to do right. Bra- it's like, but- I get it. They interrupt a lot. <laughs>
2: okay. That's why I have to ask three times because the rabbi keeps interrupting now. <laughs>
0: Uh, unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Write to us at unorthodox at com or leave us a voice message, 914-570-4869. For merchandise, bit.ly slash shirt. Follow Stephanie on Instagram at butnick. Follow the show on Instagram at unorthodoxpodcast and on Twitter at unorthodox underscore pod. Join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Josh Cross and Shira Telushkin with help from Julia Frakes. It's edited by Noah Levinson. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our intern is Theo Cantor. Our theme music is by Golem. online at golemrocks.com. Our mailbox theme is by Steve Barton. Rabbinic supervision this week by Rabbi Stephen Kushner, retiring in June after 38 years at Temple near Tamid in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Also, rabbinic supervision, double supervision this week by Rabbi Mike Werbo. A happy belated birthday to him. Email me at moppenheimer at tabletmag.com if you have a rabbi to nominate for supervision. We recorded Argo Studios, which is studying for its adult bar mitzvah, to which it will invite Donald Trump. And we're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends.